0: Um, Last week we talked we started this series about this whole idea of resisting God and what a foolish idea it is to think that we could actually do that Um, I had a real I've had a couple of really good conversations one on Monday morning. I had a conversation with somebody about just this very thing, and I watched someone this week take some steps of obedience based on what was said last week, that it just almost makes you leave your mouth just gaping open, like, I can't believe I'm seeing them do that. It's just such a big, huge faith step for them and uh it it was very very impressive and yet there are some times that we approach god in such a way not in obedience but we want to kind of treat god like the family retriever you know sit stay don't don't move too fast you move when i tell you to and if you'll do this i'll give you a treat that's kind of how we think we can deal with god And, and in this resist series we're looking at three characters in the whole easter story last week we looked at a guy that that uh wanted to resist God and and do some some foolish things but basically what he found out is that God's will cannot be forced and the will of God cannot be resisted you you can you cannot make God act a certain way I think sometimes we approach God and we think well watch this I'll get God to do my deal and and he'll fall right in line with my plan And you can't stop God from what he's going to do. He's going to get his will affected in one way or the other. Like I said, last week the character was Caiaphas. And Caiaphas was was a politician. And we talked last week about the politics of resistance. Today's character was a pretender. This guy hung out with Jesus. Um, in fact, the Bible says he was a thief and that the reason that he hung out with Jesus was because there was some gain in it for him. He got some uh, financial gain out of the whole deal of following Jesus around. And this was a guy that, that really was always looking for the deal. Um, he was always trying to figure out how he could get a leg up and how he could um, get an advantage over everybody else. And he didn't just look at, the, at something. You ever run across somebody that that sees the whole world jaded, you know, they see the whole world as, as some something to be taken advantage of. I don't like being around people like that because you can never trust them, but I think that that's the way this guy was. He looked at everything as, how can I manipulate this, turn this, uh, move on this so that I then profit and I get something out of it, and if I can make you think that I'm giving to you, that's all well and good, but at the end of the day, it's about you giving to me. And, and that is the way uh, Judas really comes off in scripture that's what we find out really about Judas Um, he followed Jesus really to see what was in it for him and what he found out is that Jesus does not bargain Jesus does not barter he does not make deals Jesus does not sit down across the table and try and do this. You know, if I'll do, if you'll do this, I'll do this kind of thing. That's the problem that many of us have. And, and if you really listen to people who have maybe dabbled in church but haven't really ever plugged in and really given their life to Christ and said, "Okay, I want this to be a full surrender thing, me to you, God," what you'll hear them say is, "God wouldn't deal with me. God wouldn't make the trade. God, you know, I, I offered this, and God, God wouldn't do it that way." Uh, it was a very famous rich person I won't use their name because I've done that before and after I have I have thought you know I probably shouldn't have done that but I've I heard that there's a very famous person I could name right now in the world who at one time kind of dabbled in Christianity and as he was just starting to kind of get friendly with Jesus his sister got really ill and so he said God I'll I'll you know you'll have my money you'll have everything if you'll just heal her well she didn't get healed she passed away and you know his response to that was, fine, then I'm taking all my money and I'm taking all my fame and everything that I've got to offer you, God, and I'm going to go a different direction because you didn't deal with me, and so I'm disappointed and, and I didn't like it. The person that we talk about today is Judas, and when he realized that he could not deal with Jesus, when he realized that, that you, he couldn't force Jesus' hand and he couldn't make Jesus do something that was outside of his will and he wouldn't do something that Judas wanted to have happen, then Judas flipped and he became a traitor and there's a little bit i think of judas in all of us the reason i say that is that there's something in you and there's something in me that from time to time makes us want to do a deal with god there's that side of us that and and you know if you listen to your prayer life long enough and and closely enough there'll be a point that you'll kind of detect a little hint of if you then i will you know god if you'll come through on this then i'll come around and i'll do this and and uh, you know we we kind of do that whole thing and god since i have shouldn't you do this I mean, I've been faithful now, God, I need you to kind of step up to the plate and, and make my deal happen, because my deal's pretty important, and you know, if, if my deal would happen, then God, maybe all these people would come to Jesus. You know, if you would just do what I want you to do and make this all, whole thing happen, God, if you would just give me all that money, I could spend that money in such a way that all these people might come to Jesus. And we, we do these deals, and we, we have these things that we bring before God, and we think that God's just going to get right in line and say, "Oh yeah, I see the whole. I see your, your way of thinking. I, yeah, I think we should do that. And sometimes, if we're completely honest, much more of the time than we care to admit, we don't come to Jesus nearly as much from the vantage point of, I want to surrender everything I have, and I want to give everything I have to you in total surrender. But it's a lot more about, let's do a deal. For some, that is their whole relationship with God. For some people, you know, they'd say... My whole relationship is I'm pretty much going to live my life the way I want to And from time to time i'm going to come to god and i'm going to say god Here's what I need from you. I need you to line this whole thing up I've brought this much to the table We just need to shake hands on this thing and you need to get in line with what i'm wanting to do And Every now and then there's something in us I think That says you know, I need god to do something for me And i'm just going to fold my arms and wait until god Does his thing god let's make a deal if you will then I will For some people, you know, we talk about a love relationship with God, and some people would say, well, I don't know about a love relationship. I mean, I think I have a relationship with him, and I try and save it for the the special times when I really, really need it. I mean, Brett, I don't really do it all that often, uh, like you're talking about, like you're making it seem. But that pretty much describes Judas. I mean, Judas was a guy that was really trying to angle Jesus in one way or another, and that pretty much sums up why he was following Jesus. Judas was like the other disciples in some ways. He believed that Jesus was from God. He believed that, that uh, Jesus had an agenda, and it was a good agenda. Um, and, and Jesus talked continually about being a king. You know, he, he constantly talked about this coming kingdom and, and being a king. And Judas, like the rest of the disciples, believed that at some point, Jesus would shed the whole prophet robes. He would get rid of all those prophet robes, and he would rise up, and he would uh, man up and muscle up and take a kingdom and form this kingdom in this nation and he would be the king and obviously if there's going to be all that kind of stuff happening and you're one of the disciples you want to be close to that guy I mean you want to be close to the guy who's talking about being the king right I mean if you knew that there was some guy in your midst that was about to rise up at work if you knew that some guy was about to rise up and become the new boss wouldn't you want to be friends with that person you'd rather be friends with him than not be friends with him. And so Judas is thinking, okay, he's talking about this kingdom. He's talking about being a king. And so when this whole thing goes down, I'm going to be right there, and I'm going to be one of the ones who, who gets kind of the spillover from everything that happens with the king. And so Judas hung close to Jesus out of an ulterior motive. And Judas uh, wasn't really the only one. If you read the Bible close enough, what you find is that most of the disciples uh, kind of seem to have their own agenda and they kind of have these their own expectations about their own greatness and their own uh, prosperity and, and what's going to happen to them if they stay in line and they follow Jesus the right way. In Matthew chapter 19 verse 27, <laughs> you don't need to turn there. Uh, if you want to turn someplace, go to Matthew 26. But in Matthew 19, the disciples are having a conversation and Peter blurts out this thing have you ever said something and you thought to yourself did I just say that out loud you ever said you ever done that and thought oh I wish I hadn't done that um Peter has one of those moments when he's talking and it's verse 27 of Matthew 19 says Peter answered him we have left everything to follow you now check this out what then will there be for us you hear the deal in that hey we gave up everything for you. I got I got a dad waiting at home. I, I left a fishing boat. I left a business. I left my area of expertise to come follow you. Hi ho, what's in it for me? Even you know, and I, I think when he said that, it, it probably was one of those things like it's it's like toothpaste out of the tube. You certainly can't put it back in. I mean, it's 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 out there, and I think some of the other disciples maybe maybe were thinking, well, you know, I've, I, you know, that's an interesting. I'm glad you made that that uh, remark because that's kind of how I feel about things. In other words, let's make a deal. Let's barter. Let's let's trade. There's another place when Jesus heard the disciples arguing. It's kinda, he kind of hears them in the background. And the Bible says that he knew what they were arguing about. And uh, they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Now think about if you're one of the disciples how ridiculous that argument is. But they're, they're going at it. And they're having this discussion about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And, and they, they thought Jesus meant this actual kingdom. They're expecting you know, King Solomon or King David. They're, they're expecting a physical king. To, to rise up and, and, and to, for, for Jesus to, you know, do the whole robe thing and the whole deal, the crown, and, and they would be close to the king. That's what they're thinking, and they're wondering who's going to be the greatest in this kingdom that's going to rise up that Jesus is going to put together. But as time went on, the, the disciples began to understand that Jesus didn't bargain, and he, he was looking for not a dealing relationship, that Jesus was not looking for this thing where if then, then I, and, and if you'll do this, then I'll do that. It wasn't like that at all. He was looking for a relationship of surrender. Eventually, each one of the disciples would come to a place where they pretty much laid their agenda down, and they they would get in line with what it was that Jesus was really all about. And it took them some time to do that, but they eventually get to that place that they see that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he's the coming Messiah, and they were willing to lay down their lives and their livelihood and And they were willing to give up everything in order to follow Jesus. Eventually, they quit trying to deal, and they were willing to surrender and follow, all except for Judas. Now, even as I say that, it strikes me that Judas and Jesus. Can you imagine being a public speaker trying to keep those two separate for a whole sermon? Judas and Jesus. So it's it's possible I could interchange those in a hurry. I'll try not to do that. Um, Judas was never fully able to surrender. Judas was never able to, to fully get on board with what it was that Jesus was was kind of trying to lay out there and help everybody to see. For Judas, there was always a trade to be made. For Judas, there was always some angle to play and some way to, to pad his pocket or to, to, you know, to make himself look better or to set himself up in such a way. And he followed and he listened and he waited for the day when Jesus would kick this plan into motion and he would become the king that that Judas thought he kept talking about and was going to be eventually someday. Surely one day Jesus would establish the kingdom. Granted, there were some inconsistencies in the way Jesus was going about this whole thing. He didn't seem to really hate the Romans, and you would think if he was going to have some competing empire with the Romans that you kind of have to hate the Romans, and, and Jesus never, they never really could get Jesus to a place where he hated the Romans. Uh, Jesus wouldn't start an organization the fact that he you know he kept sending people away he didn't really want a whole lot of people following him he kept saying things like you know you go back to your city or he would heal somebody and say go show yourself to the priest he didn't he didn't really let these people follow him or at least he tried not to let them follow him he's constantly sending them away and people would want to follow and Jesus would say just just go on you know go on back to your city and just wait Jesus wouldn't put together a war chest. I mean, how are you going to start a kingdom? How are you going to start and fuel a kingdom with no money? And, And Jesus wouldn't, you know, politicians, when they're getting ready to run for president or run for whatever office it is, they build a war chest. They start doing fundraisers. They get money in the bank so that they can spend money to tell us how bad the other guy is. And so, you know, Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus wouldn't accumulate all this money, and he wouldn't have this great big huge war chest. And the worst, Jesus... Jesus didn't seem to to really be all that concerned about trying to get the people in power The important people the religious leaders and the leaders around him He didn't really seem to be trying to get them on board with what he was doing And in fact, he seemed to really be trying to tick everybody off I mean everything he seemed to say was so cutting and so in the face of the religious leaders or so in the face of leaders in general That most of the people that heard jesus speak that were in any position of power felt threatened most of the people felt like they hadn't been properly respected. You know, they had the robes and they had all the stuff going on. And, hey, how are you, are you talking to me like that? What are you doing? And Jesus really didn't have a lot of patience for guys like that. And the more time went by, Judas began to see that Jesus was not playing along. Jesus, just would, Judas, Jesus would not get in line with what it was that Judas thought ought to happen. He's not doing the deal. He's not following my agenda. He doesn't seem to approach this and see the the gravity of the situation that he needs to really start to, if he's going to become this person that we're expecting him to be. And like Peter, Judas began to wonder, what's in it for me? Because I don't seem to be getting anything out of this. I'm just getting older. As time went by, Jesus began to lose his popularity. And when that happened, Judas began to wonder, hey, you know, maybe I've made a a bad decision maybe it's time that I should switch sides I've been waiting on Jesus to to really kick this thing off and it doesn't seem to be happening maybe I've made a bad decision in Matthew 26 there is this story that we read about that that really I mean to us we read it and we think well that's a nice story but what we don't realize is and what I hope to have you see today is that this was the final straw for Judas when Judas saw this happen, this was the thing that Judas said, okay, I've I'm, I'm got to start a new plan. i got I got to reconfigure and recalibrate because Jesus just doesn't seem to get it and I'm not waiting for him anymore. Um, Matthew 26, verse 6, and I'm going to read a couple of verses and then I'm going to tell you what John said about this same incident because Matthew and John recorded it with a little bit different flavor. You know, they've got a little different angle. Here's what Matthew said. Verse 6, while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. We find out from John a little bit later that this jar of perfume is worth an entire year's wages. Okay, so you, you do the math on whatever it is that you make in a year, and I realize that's different for all of us in the room, but, but that figure is pretty important to all of us. I mean, that's what we've got to work with. So you think about taking one year of your salary, and you, you take in this jar, and you go in, and you're going to do this thing that, that this uh, woman does. And she walks up behind Jesus, and she pours this perfume on his head, on the back of his head, and it would run down his hair and down the back of his neck. And, you know, we think a year's worth of, of, of wages, and we think it would be something that you'd go to Sam's and buy by the barrel, you know, that you'd pour it out, glug, 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 you know, there'd be all this perfume. But it, it really, it was not all that much. I mean, it was just a little bit of perfume. It was very, very precious, and it was very expensive, and it was, would have been something that would have been very uh, important and valuable to this woman but this small alabaster jar this container that she had had this perfume in it It, the the perfume would have been meant for for maybe medicinal purposes or a a relaxing thing or a cleansing thing I mean there are all kinds of ramifications behind why how you could use this perfume and and this oil Um, but she comes up behind Jesus and she pours this all over the back of his hair and the scent just fills the room I mean, you just imagine this, this fragrance as this thing happens. You can imagine the people watching this whole thing happen, and, and the disciples wondering, what's going on with that? And, I, you know, I try to imagine the, the, the face of the woman as she poured that out. And, and uh, I mean, I, in my mind anyway, she's just got this incredible uh, uh, expression of joy on her face to be able to, to take this most precious thing that she has and really just, in a good way, waste it on Jesus, you know, to, to just pour it out. Uh, in such a way that it's a it's an offering to him look at verse eight when the disciples saw this they were the word is indignant that little greek word you know translates into mad okay they got ticked off when they saw this happen uh the disciples weren't the least bit happy you know they and and it's not really clear who they're mad at you know, are they mad at the woman for doing it or are they mad at, at Jesus for letting it happen? Are they, are they mad at the woman for being so wasteful or are they mad at Jesus for allowing her to be so wasteful? You know, why would you waste all that perfume like that? And Jesus, uh, why wouldn't you stop her? Look at verse eight, the second part. Why, waste, why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. See, we're just concerned about poor people here. We're, we're just concerned that, that uh, poor people get the food that they, they so desperately need. You know, you, we, could have, we could have fed people for weeks on what that perfume costs. And you just let her pour it out on your hair. Now what John tells us is that it wasn't just the disciples, but that Judas was actually the one that drove a lot of the, the controversy behind this whole thing. Look at John chapter twelve, John chapter 12, verse 4 here's what john writes and this is after the perfume has been poured out okay this is the deal's already been done and 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 the perfume the smells in the room you know this whole thing's happening this is what john writes in john chapter 12 verse 4 but one of his disciples judas iscariot who was later to betray him objected why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor it was worth a year's wages he did not say this because he cared about the poor but because he was a thief As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus had a thief in his midst. And Judas, from day one, was not really about Jesus' agenda nearly as much as Judas was about Judas' agenda. And Judas' agenda was, how can I uh, benefit from following this guy? What's in it for me? How can I leverage Jesus for what I want to happen in my life? and how can I leverage what's going on with Jesus in a way that it makes me look good and it sets me up for profitability? You know, really, when you think about it, this wasn't real smart. This is the same guy that, that, that in Jesus that, that could tell what people were thinking. He could walk into a room and tell what somebody was thinking about him. Oftentimes he would answer questions before uh, he would answer questions that he wasn't supposed to have heard asked. Uh, he, would, he would answer questions that people were thinking. And, you know, so you think about trying to steal money from a guy like that. This is a guy that knew man's thoughts, and Judas is thinking, I'm going to pull this off. I'm going to hang out with Jesus. I'm going to, you know, get a little bit that spills out of the the money box that Jesus has got. I'm going to get in there once in a while. And one of these days, this guy's going to swell up and become a superstar. He's going to be the king, and I'm going to be one of the boys. I am hooked up. But on this particular afternoon, he sat there, and he watched the woman pour thousands of dollars worth of perfume on the head of Jesus. And he went nuts. And if you put the two accounts together, apparently it was Jesus who looked at Peter and said, would you look at that? Can you believe he's doing that? Looking at James, can you believe he's pouring all that perfume out like that? Bartholomew, Bart, you've got to talk to him. You've got to get him to stop doing stuff like that. I mean, I've tried to talk to him, but he won't listen to me. And Judas is having all these conversations and apparently he said so much that the other disciples kind of got worked up by the whole thing and they all kind of started to talk among themselves about it. And Judas is thinking, we're not gonna get anywhere with a guy like this. We're not gonna get, he's never gonna have the money he needs to start this whole campaign if he allows this kind of waste to happen. I mean, this is, a, this is a losing proposition. We'll never set up a kingdom, this is hopeless. And the Bible says that it was the final straw. You know, Going back to Matthew chapter 26, Matthew 26, verse 10. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. Pause. And Judas is thinking, huh? When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Huh? What? What? No, Jesus, see, you're a king. You're gonna swell up and get real big and you're gonna, you're gonna get really popular and everybody's gonna follow you and, and, and some people are even gonna be afraid of you. And, and I'm gonna be close to the king and I'm gonna hang out with you and I'm gonna be one of your fellas and, and, and you know, we'll, we'll do this whole thing together and I'll be right there beside you. What do you mean prepare the body for burial? You're not, you're not sick, that's crazy. That's, don't talk like that. You heal sick people you raised Lazarus from the dead. What are you talking about, death and burial? Look at verse 13. I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And here we are, 2,000 years later, talking about the story of Jesus, and we're talking about this woman who brings in this bottle of perfume, and she pours it on Jesus. We're still talking about that. That's one of the things in many of the things that Jesus did and experienced, and the people that hung out with him. And, and, you know, the Bible says that if they wrote everything that Jesus did, all the books in the world couldn't contain it all. This is one of the stories that makes its way all the way to the year 2007, and we're talking about it today. And, and Jesus is saying, look, what she's done is she has basically prophesied my death and my burial. That's what she's done. And pouring this perfume on me, she's prepared my body for what is about to happen. And people are going to remember her forever for what she's done. Then we come to verse 14, and we get this huge word. If you've got a pen in your hand, you need to circle this word. Verse 14, then. That's huge. That means this is connected. What just happened connects what is about to happen. What you just read, what's going to happen hinges on what you just read. Then. As a result of, then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to, and then look at these next two words, would you say these with me? What are you willing to give me? What are you willing to give me? See, he's watched this long enough, and he said, look, if this is the way this guy's going to be, and if this is how the deal's going to go down, and he's just going to let this kind of waste happen, he doesn't seem to get it. He doesn't, you know, he, he's a reluctant leader, he doesn't, he's a reluctant king, doesn't seem to understand what it's going to take for him to assume and ascend the throne. And so if he's not going to get it any more than that, he's going to go someplace else. What are you willing to give me? See, this isn't about Ju- Jesus for Judas. This is about Judas. And if he won't give me what I want, I will go to the next set of power brokers, and maybe I can get from them what I want. What are you willing to give me? Because it was all about me. Because Judas took an attitude that said, my whole relationship with Jesus is about what I can get from Jesus. Have you ever spent time with a Christian like that? Who, who their whole deal seemed to be about what Jesus was going to give to them, what Jesus was going to do for them. People come to church, and, and you don't hear that around here much anymore, but you know, back in the day, we would hear, well, you know, I don't like the way that happened. I don't, I don't like the way, you know, instead of somebody saying, well, you know, I just don't get anything out of it. You know what's really cool around this place is that people come here to give to Jesus. Here, we come to give to Jesus. We come to give our allegiance. We come to give our praise. We come to give our thanks. We come to give our money. We come to give everything that we have in some way, we come to give it to Jesus. And I don't hear much anymore. People walking out here saying, well, you know, I just didn't get much out of that. Because you know what? If you say things like that, you know who you sound like? You sound like Judas. What's in it for me? What are you willing to give me? Here's a principle for you. When your agenda and your your uh, way of doing things takes precedence over that of Jesus, you are set up to betray him. When your agenda becomes more important than the agenda of Jesus, you are set up to betray Jesus. And it's a subtle thing, and it would happen, and you'd say, well, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't really call that betrayal. But oftentimes when we turn our back on God for a split second to do whatever it is that we say we want to do, oftentimes when we decide to go our own way or do our own thing, what set that whole thing up is that we had an agenda that became more important than the agenda of Jesus. And, and Judas, there was something Judas wanted more than what Jesus wanted. You understand that? There was something in Judas that that he wanted something different and more than whatever it was that Jesus wanted. And it just, it didn't sit well with him. And he said, you know what, if they're not going to line up, then I'm going to go my way and do my thing. And he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Verse 15, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. And here, to me, is the most fascinating part of this whole story. And it makes you wish that you could have been there to see their eyes, to to watch their eyes kind of light up as, as this whole thing unfolds. Jesus knew that Judas was dipping into the money box. Okay, this wasn't news to Jesus. Jesus knew all along that Judas was taking money from him. Judas had gone out, he'd made his deal for 30 pieces of silver, and now he's going to come back to the gang, and he's going to act like nothing uh, in the world is wrong and, and that nothing has happened. And now he's going to try and figure out how he can deliver on his promise to the Pharisees To turn Jesus over and he shows up in the presence of Jesus and you know what Jesus does this just blows my mind sometimes I think people don't understand that this actually happened this way I think they don't put this part in the story but think about the fact that Judas has gone and made this deal okay he's about to turn Jesus over and then he comes back into the room with the disciples this has always blown me away you know what he does when he sees Judas he doesn't look at the other disciples and say hey guys there he is go beat him up He doesn't say, hey, let's go bed stack Judas. You know, I mean, it doesn't happen like that. He takes off his robe, his his sash or whatever. He goes over. He gets a wash basin and a towel. He comes and he kneels at the feet, the, the, the traitorous feet of Judas. And he takes that nasty foot in his hands and he unlaces the sandal and he removes it. he begins to wash the feet of Judas. That, as long as I live, (laughs) that will always fascinate me. You know, I've been, I talk an awful lot about this, the, the difference between acting spiritual and actually being spiritual. The difference between looking spiritual and actually being spiritual. I've seen an awful lot of people who wanted to look spiritual, but would never consider doing this would never ever consider going to the feet of their enemy getting on their knees and and symbolically washing their feet now you want to be spiritual this is the kind of person you be and what happens is this really happened behind closed doors only the closest friends of Jesus got to see this event take place. This didn't happen in the public square. This didn't happen so after the fact when everybody knew G- Judas was a traitor. Really, the only two people who knew what, were going, what was going on in the room at this time are Jesus and Judas, and he got on his knees, and he washed Judas' feet. He washed the feet of his enemy. You want to be spiritual? That's what you do. Don't talk to me about how spiritual you are and how spiritual you look. You want to be spiritual, you wash the feet of your enemies. And it just, it it fascinates me. Jesus does nothing. He goes on as if nothing has really happened. Judas is going to betray Jesus with a kiss. Jesus is sitting at the table and he says, hey guys, one of you, this is later at the meal, one of you is going to betray me and this great discussion begins, and they start looking at each other. You know, is it you? Is it you? Know, is it you? Did you, did you are you doing something? You got something going on? And this, this whispering starts to happen in the room. And then Judas looks at Jesus, and he says, is it me? And Jesus doesn't do anything. But what he says is, yeah, and what you're going to do, go ahead and, and do it quickly. And I'm not going to try to stop you because I don't bargain and I don't deal and I don't barter. Judas, I know you didn't get much from me. I realize that. I realize that I've that in your eyes I've let you down, I haven't delivered this whole kingdom thing the way you thought a kingdom should be delivered. I know you've got another plan. You go ahead and you work that plan. And I don't know what Judas thought, you know, I'm just going to put words in Judas mouth at this point because it's, it's all speculation, but it is highly possible that Judas thought to himself, it's a good thing I did what I did because you're a pathetic excuse for a leader. I think it's highly possible that at this point Judas is so put out with Jesus and he's so just he probably despises Jesus at this particular point because he's, he's expected so much of Jesus and now he's coming to the firm realization that none of the things that he expected are gonna happen. Have you ever been there with Jesus? Have you ever so counted on him to do your deal that you come face to face with the realization that Jesus doesn't bargain and Jesus doesn't make deals and whatever it was that you were so counting on happening with Jesus, it's not gonna happen. What thoughts go through your mind? Have you ever shaken a fist at God because you felt like God didn't come through with, the, with his end of the bargain? I think it's possible that Judas thought Jesus was a coward. You're no king, you're no Messiah, you're no son of man, you're no son of God. Who in their right mind, knowing what I'm about to do, would wash my feet and then look at me and let me walk out the door and do what I'm about to do? I think it's possible that Judas thought this is the best decision I ever made was to flip and go the other way. This whole movement's about to unravel and at least I'll have something to show for what I've done. And he walked out and he began to set the scene for the arrest of Jesus. And you need to hear this. The reason Jesus does nothing is because Jesus doesn't deal. He doesn't bargain. He's a king. And as time went by, it began to dawn on Judas... And he saw Jesus arrested and he saw Jesus not putting up a fight. He saw his guys leave him all alone and abandon him. And he's condemned. And suddenly it occurs to Judas, and I think Judas, it starts to settle on him, I just set this guy up to be condemned to death. I think the whole thing starts to really come home and just sit on Judas' chest. He got nothing from following Jesus. He's got nothing but blood money from going to the other side and betraying Jesus to these other guys. And what he found out is that God's hand cannot be forced. God's will can't be forced. If Jesus is a king and the time for his kingdom has not yet come, Judas, you're not going to force him into a kingdom that he's not ready to reveal and he's not ready to set up. God's hand can't be forced and His will can't be thwarted. Look what happens next. Matthew twenty-seven verses three and five, three through five. When Judas, who had betrayed Him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the thirty silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. "I have sinned," he said, "for I have betrayed innocent blood." Listen to this. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. I want us to say those three words out loud together. Are you ready? Let's say them together. That's your responsibility. Judas said, all of a sudden, I feel really alone. All of a sudden, I'm out here exposed by myself. All of a sudden, I need a friend. I need a partner. I need some help. And in that incredible time of isolation, Judas, hears these words. That was your deal, Judas. That was your setup. You know, what you just did, that's not on our hands. That is your... Responsibility. Verse 5. So Judas threw the money back into the temple. And left. Then he went away. And God struck him down with lightning. Is that what it says? No. Then he went and got on his donkey. And left and got to an intersection. And hit head on with another donkey. And was killed instantly. See this challenges the way we think about things and you really need to lock in right here Judas threw the money into the temple and left then went away and hanged himself no lightning bolts no car wrecks no strange diseases are necessary God doesn't need to do anything like that listen God will not stoop to that God doesn't have to stoop to that kind of stuff Judas hung himself and his legacy and the legacy of every man or woman who decides that they're going to try and barter and deal with God they're going to find out the same thing that God's will cannot be forced and his will cannot be thwarted we treat God like he's so stupid sometimes it's, a, it's an incredible insult to God the way we approach him with this whole idea, well, God, if I go to church enough times or if I give enough money or, you know, if I, I've, God, I've really been praying really good for the last month. Now, don't you think you could just see clear to help me get this, this one thing? I just need this one thing to fall in place. God, come on, play along. I need you, you know, come on. It's a huge insult to God when we do that to him. And if you're a person who approaches God from the standpoint of, well, I'm just going to make a deal with God, I'm just going to bargain, and, I, I'm gonna, you know, and if you're the kind of person who says, well, I'm going to go ahead and do this part of the deal this is this is I'm going to give you some advice there's about four things that I would say to you if there's something that you're trying to deal with God about and you're trying to make the deal and say God I just need your permission to be able to go ahead and do this or do it my way or whatever my advice to you is that you just go ahead and do whatever it is that you're wanting to do don't wait on a deal from God don't wait for God to to, to you know make the way clear or come down and bless whatever it is you just you go ahead and do whatever it is that you're going to do my advice is that you just do it you won't have a wreck on the way Lightning is not going to come from the sky and zap you for doing this thing whatever it is that you want to do because God doesn't deal on those terms. Now, There are some exceptions to that, I think, and I think that that there's a couple places in Scripture that that you'd say, ooh, I think maybe God does do that from time to time. Well, it's it's possible, and I've got to tell you that on the front end. you know, There's always that possibility, but for the most part, most people who are trying to do a deal with God, when they go ahead and they don't get God's blessing or whatever, and they just do whatever it is that they're going to do anyway, God says, you go right ahead and you do that. I'm not going to stop you. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to put a big truck in front of you. I know you live in Terre Haute, but I'm not going to put a train in front of you to stop you from doing what you think you need to do. He's not going to bargain. He's not going to barter. And it's very confusing to us. It's confusing in the way that if you've got a child, let's say you've got a 16-year-old child, and you've you know they've asked permission to go somewhere, and you've said no, and they sneak out and they do it anyway. Now, if you're a parent, if you're a parent and you found out that your child just snuck out of the house on you, isn't there a part of you that wishes that they they'd been in an accident, not a big accident, not where they'd get hurt or anything, but a little fender bender accident? preferably in their friend's car not your car you know uh, but there'd be just a little fender bender just enough to make their heart jump up into their throat and make them really sorry that they ever even thought about sneaking out of the house and doing this thing behind mom and dad's back isn't there that part of you that wishes they'd they'd get caught somehow or you know the police would pull them over and say hey what are you doing out this time of night or you know you got a taillight out and do your mom and dad know you're out or whatever you know we wish that there was something that would happen so that our kids would say boy I'll never do that again I mean, the last thing we want to happen is for them to sneak out of the house after we told them not to and they go have the time of their life, right? I mean, you don't want that to happen. And so if you've got this thing that you're saying, God, I want to I do this deal with you. I wanna, I'll do this, I want to do this, and then you do this. Or, or can I do this thing? I think God would say, look, whatever it is that you're going to do, I think Jesus sits across the table from us the same way he sat across the table from Judas, and he says, look, whatever it is that you think you've got to do, you go right ahead and do. I am not going to stop you. And that's when we come to point two. At that point, you are responsible for the outcome of your journey. Now, at first, that doesn't bother us because we're slick and we're, we're smart and we're savvy and we know how to set this whole thing up. We know how to hedge our bets and protect ourselves and, and the whole thing. But then eventually, we go out and the whole thing blows up and we come back and we, you know, we, we start to say things like, well, God, I didn't know it was gonna turn out like that or I didn't expect that to happen. You need to hear what the Pharisees said to Judas. That is not our responsibility. That is your responsibility, You decided to do this deal. You put this whole thing together. You're on your own. And then from this story and the story you're in, what what you can count on, number three, is eventually you will begin to self-destruct. People who try to deal with God always ultimately self-destruct. Judas hung himself. He didn't need any help. You will eventually hang yourself. God is not going to intervene on your behalf and say, look, this is going to end really badly, and I'm just going to stop it right here because you're making bad decision upon bad decision, and if I don't stop you right here, it's going to get ugly. God says, no, you know, I'm, I, you know what my will is. You know that that's not something that I would choose for you, but I'm not going to stop you either. You, you go right ahead, but you need to know that at the end of this journey, you are going to self-destruct, and it is not going to be pretty. Same kind of stuff we say to our kids. I do a lot of counseling, and I, I, I see this in counseling. I see, I see where people, just, they, they, and they'll say, you know, I knew it wasn't right, but I did it anyway, and oh, this is the result of, this is the consequence of the decision I made. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, right, and, you know, at what point are you, you know, this is the point that you look at me and say, and now I want to give everything to Jesus. And I'll even say sometimes, you know, have you ever thought about starting to seek God for some of the decisions you're making? Have you ever thought about starting to pray over some of this stuff? And that never dawns on them. Number four, you will eventually come back. You can come back to God. God is a God of infinite grace and mercy. You won't come back trying to bargain with God, but you'll come back and you will say, Lord, I surrender everything I have. And you know what? God will accept you back because he is, he is a God of grace and a God of love and a God of mercy. And you'll come back and you'll have memories that you can't erase and you'll have some busted up relationships. You'll have some things that won't ever happen in your life that you really thought would happen. But when you come back, God will receive you back because that's the kind of God he is. You see, if ever there was a guy in a position to leverage his relationship with God, it was Jesus on the cross or in the garden. In the garden, Jesus is facing death. He knows it. And he has this time of prayer where he really pours his heart out and he says, Lord, this is what's going on and this is what I'm facing and this is uh, what I'm up against and I I really, you know, I've, I've given my whole heart and soul to you and I really, my will is that I wouldn't have to face this next thing. This cup that I've got to drink, you know, please let this cup pass from me. But God, now that I've told you what my will is, I'm ready to do your will and I will do whatever you tell me to do. But I will not strike a deal. I will not try to barter with you. I will not try to appeal to some thing that I've done in the past and say, God, this should get me through and this should get me by. And I've been good enough and I've been a good boy and you know, I'm going to treat you like Santa Claus here. If Jesus knew better than to try to deal with God, shouldn't we? God's hand cannot be forced and his will cannot be thwarted. And for the man or woman who tries to strike a deal with God, what you're going to get is hurt. What you're going to get is regret. What you're going to get is, I wish I could go back and take that back. Are you bar- bartering with God? Or are you surrendered? That's really the question. You, you deal-making with God? Or have you come to a place, open hands, on your knees, and said, God, I surrender? you've got it all, and I'm not going to try and make any more deals with you. If you've never done that, if you've never given your life to Christ, that's really what we're talking about, total surrender of your will. God, it's yours, it's not mine. This life is yours, it's not mine. If you've never done that, you have the opportunity this morning when we stand and sing, and if you'd like to talk to somebody, I'd love to talk to you about that. Let's pray. Father, we we see Judas, and I think a lot of times we want to put Judas in a whole separate category and say, well, he's not like me, but the fact of the matter is there's an awful lot of Judas in all of us. And we very much have the capacity to want to make a deal with you. And we very much have the capacity to want to expect you to to hold up some end of some bargain somewhere that we think we've struck with you and lord truth be told some of us right now are on paths that we've said you know forget it i'm doing my own thing and you've let us go and lord as many people as are in the room this morning we're all over the map in terms of where we are in this whole debate this whole discussion about deal making with you father i pray right now that in this room we would be able to stop and say lord i'm going to quit running I'm going to quit making deals, and I surrender to you. It's all you want to hear us say, God. And a life of blessing flows into the life of a person who's willing to say those words to you. Why can't we see that? That's my prayer this morning, Father, is that we would be a church yielded to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.